how this show actually makes it to a podcast every day when when we are sitting here and we can't agree on simple things like almond milk is not milk. What, what almond what? It's not milk. Almond milk is almond is not almond use, I'm sorry, milk. The, almond. Where's the tea? You can you can milk a, a, an almond. No. All right, welcome to the podcast. We have uh, <laughs> bigger fish to fry. Um, believe it or not, we have Adam Schiff. Now, I'm not going to insinuate or suggest that he's a liar. On today's podcast, I just come out and tell you. Also, Peter Schweitzer is here. He's got he's got unbelievable evidence on the Biden corruption, the corruption in with Senator Warren and Bernie Sanders. Also, the person that is running for Elon Omar's seat, she's, you know, we have to get that Muslim out of there, right? Yeah, that's why the Republicans have uh, are running a Muslim immigrant. Oh, what a surprise. Doesn't seem like that's the problem. Find out about that. Also, people have less sex when the Pope is around. All that and almond milk on today's podcast. You're listening to the best of the Glenn Beck program. All right. Again, I don't want to suggest anything here, Stu. I don't want to suggest it. And please stop me from any speculation. Okay. Okay. You just want to make sure you're staying on the facts. I want to stay on the facts that Adam Schiff is a lying dirtbag. Okay. Okay. Um, And I I shouldn't have said that. See, now you've let me down. No, I cannot. I was going to see if you had evidence if he was actually a bag of dirt. Yeah. And I can't make, I can't. Well, I was waiting for the evidence. You should know that. Oh, I should know what your evidence is before you present it, counsel? All right. Um, House Intelligence Chairman Adam Schiff. This is from the Politico. That vast right-wing conspiratorial Mm -hmm. centerpiece. The House Intelligence uh, Chairman Adam Schiff appears to have mischaracterized (laughs) a text message exchange between two players in the Ukraine saga. According to documents now obtained by Politico, a possible error Mm. the GOP will likely criticize as another example of the Democrats' rushed effort to impeach President Donald Trump. You know the GOP is going to pounce on this one. That's what they do. Well, that's what they do. They, they just pounce. So they good. use it to their advantage. They're so the good complete at that. lies from Democrats. They yes. use it to their they, advantage. They never miss a te- an opportunity <laughs> to take down the Democrats <laughs> when they like to. Yeah. Okay. So let me just let me translate this line by line. House Intelligence Chairman Adam Schiff appears to have mischaracterized a text message exchange between two players in the Ukraine saga. Okay. Mm. Let me translate. House Intelligence Chairman Adam Schiff lied about a text message exchange between two players in the Ukrainian saga. And we know it because of the documents that were obtained by Politico. Now, back to their speak. A possible error the GOP will likely criticize is another example of Democrats' rushed effort to impeach President Donald Trump. No, let me translate from bullcrap into actual <laughs> common sense English. This lie will probably not see um, uh, a hard enough stand against, but because the GOP is spineless. But it is another example 
of the Democrats doing anything they can without any ramification in their effort to impeach Donald Trump. Here's what happened. Schiff sent a letter to the House Judiciary Committee, Jerry Nadler. This was last week. What was the big story last week? It was everywhere. Lev Parnas. Oh, yeah. Okay. Everywhere. This is the guy who we know is a liar because he's the guy who said, you know, Devin Nunes, he was over in where? Switzerland or France or someplace uh, looking at people's underpants. And uh, I know it because uh, I was there. I saw him. Well, when they went back to Adam Schiff, after they announced that through Adam Schiff, when they said, uh, when Adam Schiff came out and said, Devin Nunes, he's part of this. He was over there. He was talking. We have a witness that saw him over there. And then when Devin went, uh, no, here's my calendar. I, here's my passport. I haven't left the country. I was in the country at the time. Then they just dropped it and it went away. Okay, that's who Lev Parnas is. He's yeah, a he's bad a, guy. I mean, he plays whatever side he needs at the time. Exactly right. For his own and advantage. he's the guy, when I asked Rudy Giuliani, why would you trust this guy? And he said, I don't trust him. He said, you know, it's like with the crime families. you got to get to the people you, that will give you information or give you um, access. He said, I didn't use him for information. I used him for access. He could connect me with the people I had been trying to be connected to. So... Here's a guy now that Adam Schiff comes out and says, oh, my gosh, look at this. Here's Rudy Giuliani and Lev Parnes and their text messages. Lev just gave it to us. And this text message uh, says, quote, continue to try to arrange a meeting with President Zelensky. Okay, that's what that's what Schiff says it said, but it didn't. It said, continue to try to arrange a a meeting with Mr. Z. Now, who's Mr. Z? Zelensky. Right. He's the Z guy. He's the president. He's the guy we've been talking about. the only guy in Poland with the letter Z that starts a name. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, right. The only one. Right. Poland. Okay. So you have to assume everything else was redacted in that memo. And they were going to get the unredacted memo, but last week they couldn't wait. They couldn't wait because this president is doing so much damage that we can't wait. That was Schiff's argument yesterday. We have to move now. Really? Well, now that it's unredacted, uh, we find out that Mr. Z is Zolachevsky. He is the Burisma guy. And what... What Parnes was doing was he was trying to get Mr. Z, the Burisma guy, to go on record with somebody with a list of questions that Rudy Giuliani wanted answering. Uh, basically, their hiring practices. Who do you hire? Why do you hire these people, etc.? Uh, wanted to build Burisma. This is the response from Mr. Z. We wanted to build Burisma as an international company. We also thought it would help in Ukraine to have strong international board figures. Okay. Well, that's Mr. Z is the head of Burisma, not president. Also, by the way, I would say confirms a large part of the problem with Hunter Biden being on that board. 
I mean, he's admitting the reason he hired him is for his influence, Correct. not because he has any ability Correct. In, in his knowledge of the, the gas, Ukrainian gas world. So he is only there yeah. because of his dad. I mean, that's just confirming okay. the reason he was hired. Exactly right. Exactly right. Now listen to the Politico. The apparent mischaracterization. <laughs> Excuse me? Mischaracterization. The apparent mischaracterization does not undercut Democrats' argument that Trump withheld critical military aid to Ukraine as a way to pressure Zelensky. So now we just move the goalposts. We weren't even talking about that. No, no, yeah. No, we're, now we're talking about this. This doesn't disprove every single thing they've asked about. Right. A Democratic official working on the impeachment trial did not dispute the suggestion <laughs> that the, in, the initial interpretation was incorrect. Ah. But. The official does maintain that Z is commonly used uh, in Ukraine as shorthand for Zelensky. Oh. So you had that common usage. Common usage. That's uh, a, that's, this is amazing. I mean, I, I don't know how to take this because Politico is the one bringing it to light. So, I mean, you give him credit for that, but this is oh, written yeah, in such a hedged right. way. It's as right. if Adam Schiff wrote it himself. And then there are plenty of examples of Giuliani attempting to arrange a meeting with Zelensky. And he did, in fact, meet with top aides of the Ukrainian president. This has nothing to do with what you were accusing him of last week. Right. Last week, he's admitted those things. He brought that to the uh, State Department. He brought that to the uh, Southern District of New York FBI. Yeah, admitted isn't even the right word. The he, was, he was going on television telling everybody about he it. He went and gave them all of this information before he was even asked for it. Like over a year ago, before the scandal even started, so that so they're you know, and Democrats have not predicated their impeachment trial arguments on on Parnas's new allegation, but they would have, and they wanted to. Well, they the big wanted part was to. they wanted him to be exactly, able to testify with the Senate. Exactly right. When he has obviously shown no uh, level of credibility, so they so they have um, they have absolutely. They continue to do it again. And the media is their arm. It is their PR arm. They can say whatever they want without any ramifications. No ramifications on this. Well, uh, yeah, he just mischaracterized that. He just, he made a mistake. I mean, it's a common error over there. I mean, Mr. Z, there's, you know... Really, there are lots of Mr. Z's, but only one Mr. Z. Though. And you can understand why they assumed this is the impeachment of a president. Neither There's me. nothing more important in our republic to get right than justice. But justice to remove a president? I can't think of anything you should be more focused on. You know, you're typing these things out. You're starting to say these things. Hey, have you had a nap? You should get a nap in so you don't get this one wrong. They're not worried about getting it wrong. They're intentionally getting it wrong. And this is the argument against additional witnesses and everything else. Look, here's the thing. You are rolling the dice, and, and I want to talk to you as, as three people. First one, the president's defense team. This is one because their evidence is so weak. This is a slam dunk. All right. So now just think as a president that has been under siege. Think of yourself as an attorney. 
And the one thing you do is don't roll the dice. Don't let's not take any chances. Mr. President, this is we, we've won this. They have nothing. They have nothing. Do not roll the dice. Okay. I would do that. You would do that. Because the consequence of something being taken out of context, twisted, even if you know you're innocent, something with these dirt bags, you know, could come out. Now, let me talk to you about the Democratic point of view and then the American point of view. The best of the Glenn Beck program. Hey, it's Glenn, and you're listening to the Glenn Beck Program. If you like what you're hearing on this show, make sure you check out Pat Gray Unleashed. It's available wherever you download your favorite podcasts. Peter Swizer, best-selling uh, author, uh, the author of Clinton Cash and uh, so many others. This is the abuse of power by America's progressive elite, the ones who all say they're fighting for you. No, they're not. They're robbing you, the American people, blind. Uh, Profiles in Corruption is the name of the book. Peter, let's start with Joe Biden. I was blown away at it's not just Hunter Biden. It's the whole family. And the story you tell about Joe Biden's brother is remarkable. Yeah, Glenn, it's uh, great to be with you as always. Um, Yeah, that's right. I mean, uh, we've talked about Hunter Biden before his deals in Ukraine and China. Uh, But what you have in this book are what we call the Biden Five. And these are the five family members who all cashed in during this period when Joe Biden was vice president. Um, One of those uh, is his brother, James Biden. Uh, James Biden, um, you know, got a lot of benefits by his brother being vice president of the United States. If you step back to November of 2010, a guy visits Joe Biden's uh, office in the White House named Kevin Justice. We know this from White House visitors' logs. It's the only trip visit that he makes to the White House during the entire period. Kevin Justice is from Delaware. He's friends with the Bidens, and he has just set up a company called Hillstone International, which wants to get into the construction business. So he has this meeting in Biden's office. We don't know what was discussed, obviously. Three weeks later, Hillstone International announces that James Biden, Joe Biden's brother, is the new executive vice president of the company. Now, what's interesting about this, Glenn, is, as we found with Hunter and his deals, James Biden has no experience or background in construction. Uh, he's, he's never held a job in it. He's never been involved in it. Um, But that's only the beginning. What happens next over the next six months is Hillstone International, this new company with Joe Biden's brother as the new executive vice president, starts landing big contracts from the federal government. They get a contract to build 100,000 homes in Iraq. It's part of a $35 billion reconstruction deal in Iraq. Again, this... this but is, so, he's uh, a, so he had no experience, but he's a jack of all trades. Everybody in that family is. <laughs> no experience uh, on building, but he had to have vast experience on getting the job done overseas in a war zone, though, right? Yeah, right. <laughs> no, no experience there either. Uh, uh-huh. You know, in fact, when, when the executives put up 
his biography um, on the company website, um, they described that he had, in their words, a unique ability to deal with government officials, and then noted, of course, who his brother was, the vice president of the United States. Um, but that was the first contract they got. They got a contract to do reconstruction work for the U.S. State Department uh, and, and others. Um, and again, as always is the problem with this stuff, Glenn, because of the way this corruption is handled, we don't know how much James Biden made. I'm sure he made a lot of money doing this. Um, he's not going to be cheap in this kind of arrangement, but it's the kind of sweetheart deal that you find repeated over and over again with five family members during the time that Joe Biden is president. And Glenn, I've been on your show numerous times. We've talked about corrupt Democrats, corrupt Republicans. Being honest with you, I have never, ever, ever seen a situation with a politician that has five family members that were basically bagging money while, um, you know, they were in office. Give me the give me the worst offender and then tell me about the other family members. Oh, boy. I mean, worst offender is really hard because there's so many examples. I mean, the, the Biden chapter in the book is 60-something pages long. Um, but let's go back to Hunter. Um, you know, Hunter, uh, we talked before about Rosemont Seneca, the deal mm -hmm. that he had in China, and we've talked about the deal he had in Ukraine. Uh, he had another uh, entity called Burnham uh, that he set up with his business partner, um, Devin Archer. Um, and we know now from court documents and cases um, that they were, by their account, taking in hundreds of millions of dollars from Kazakhs, Russians, and Chinese investors. Again, all of this happening while Joe Biden was vice president. It didn't happen before he was vice president. It hasn't happened since he's been vice president. So we can all draw our conclusions about what that money was for. But for example, they talk in, in corporate records about uh, a $200 million deal uh, done with somebody named uh, Yelena Baterina. Now, if you go on Google and look up Yelena Baterina, you'll, it'll take you five, ten minutes to discover uh, that this Russian oligarch is widely believed around the Western world to be tied to Russian organized crime. So these are the sorts of deals that, that, that Hunter Biden was doing. We've got instances of his other brother, Frank, um, uh, doing deals in Costa Rica and in Jamaica, involved in projects that are getting taxpayer-backed loans. Yeah, wait, wait, wait. Uh, Ex explain that one, because I, I, I talked about that one yesterday. It's amazing. Here's a guy who has, you know, again, jack-of-all-trades, every <laughs> member of this family is super entrepreneurial. He, he goes to Costa Rica and he gets all these government-backed loans to start this, you know, almost like this, this, uh, you know, super-rich community building houses and golf courses and spas and everything else. Uh, it's a it's a disaster. Uh, and then he decides, you know what? I'm actually an entrepreneur uh, in solar energy. And he gets all these government-backed loans for a solar energy company in Jamaica. Which also, how's it doing today? Is it really rocketing to the top now? <laughs> yeah, no, you're exactly right. That, that's the pattern here. Um, again, these are uh, solar companies or real estate companies that he started after his brother became vice president. In the case of Costa Rica, you know, it's very, very clear. Uh, Joe Biden flies down to Costa Rica in uh, the spring of 2009, uh, really the first president or vice president to be in that country since Bill Clinton went 11 years earlier. So this is a big deal to the Costa Ricans. And Joe goes there and, and talks about bringing all sorts of U.S. government aid, and we're going to help the Costa Ricans and all these things. Well, 
in the months that follows, his brother Frank is suddenly in Costa Rica, and he's meeting with the president of Costa Rica. He's meeting with the education commissioner. He's meeting with all these government officials. He gets letters of support for this real estate project that he wants to develop. Um, he gets uh, these exclusive agreements with the Costa Rican National Energy Company. And again, this is a guy who has no background in any of this. In Jamaica, you have a solar project that's developed. Uh, he sets up a company called Sun Fund Americas that gets the power purchase agreement, and the project is supported with a $47 million Obama-Biden administration taxpayer-backed loan. Um, and again, he has no background in, in, in solar uh, energy. So um, a couple of things. How much of this was known in and around Joe Biden? How much... How much of this would be shocking, actually shocking, to the people in the former administration or anybody on Capitol Hill? How widespread, how well known is this corruption? Uh, I don't think it's that well known, and here's why. I mean, one of the things we talk about in the book, in, in using the words of people around Joe Biden and uh, his family members, uh, the Biden political operation is a very close-run thing. It basically circles around the family and a, and a few other aides. Uh, you know, when he ran for president, uh, his sister, Valerie Biden, was his campaign manager. Um, we actually talk about her in the book as well, Glenn, uh, how she was running Joe Biden's campaign, and she funneled two and a half million dollars from his campaigns into her own consulting firm. Um, but, you know, to answer your question, I think a lot of this stuff is going to come as a surprise. The Bidens always talk about the importance of family. And look, I believe that's a great virtue. But when you use it to self-enrich your family, you're not talking about family values. You're talking about mafia-like operations. Right. And so, that's precisely what they've done. All right. So let me ask you this, because Joe Biden, uh, you know, he's had tragedy in his life, et cetera, et cetera. You see how out of control his, his uh, son Hunter is. Just really a sad, sad case. So do you take away from your research on the Bidens? Is is Joe Biden a good parent like Lori Laughlin is that, you know, she does really bad things, but she's doing it for the love of her daughter? Or is he more of a Logan Roy uh, and Hunter is kind of Kendall Roy? I don't know if you watch uh, the Succession on HBO, but. Which is yeah, it? No, yeah, I'm, no, I'm familiar with it. I, I think that's a great question. It's always hard to get into the mind of people. Um, you know, we are all about follow the money and paper trail. I think that Joe Biden, um, you know, takes fact, it takes pride in the fact that he is a powerful man. I mean, I'll just give you a small illustration of what I mean. I mean, Joe Biden has said for years that he is the Amtrak senator, and he's just regular Joe, and he gets on Amtrak and he rides Amtrak, you know, all the time, and it makes him a regular guy, which Everybody has heard that story. Well, we looked into this, and we actually found local Delaware press accounts. The other side of that story, yes, Joe Biden uh, did ride Amtrak all the time. But you know what he also did, Glenn? If he was running late, he would call Amtrak and have them hold the train for him. The entire train would be held, commuters be damned, until he arrived. 
Uh, that, to me, is evidence of the fact that this is somebody who enjoys power. He doesn't mind using power, and he believes that you know, power is something that, that, that he deserves to have. He believes he's doing great things for his constituents and for the country. Why not be able to do great things for his family as well uh, by allowing them and helping them to secure all these uh, deals? How much money do you think has passed through the Biden's hands? It's impossible to know. I mean, it, it's certainly uh, when you look at all of it, it, it's in the tens of millions um, in terms of, I think, actually to them over the course of years. But it, it could be more than that. And that's part of the problem. So much of this is so murky. And some of it, Glenn, is so intangible. I mean, you know, another story, his daughter, Ashley, uh, this case involving his daughter, Ashley, in June of 2011, Joe Biden ushers these two executives from this new company called Startup Health into the Oval Office to meet with Barack Obama. This company doesn't have a website. They don't even have a business plan. These executives get their picture with Barack Obama. They put that up on the website. Uh, and then the next day, they are uh, sort of the hallmarks of this big federal government conference on healthcare data. Now, Startup Health is an investment firm. They want to invest in healthcare companies. That's what they do. So over the next five years, Startup Health brings its investors together, brings its partners together, and the sitting vice president of the United States, Joe Biden, goes to these closed sessions and speaks to these audiences and briefs them on what's going on in Obama administration health care policy. Um, the, the, the chief medical officer for that company is married to Ashley Biden. It's his son-in-law. And he described in the interview he gave in this very obscure trade publication how all of this happened. You know, I was talking to my father-in-law on the phone. I told him about this company. He said, great, come by. I want to introduce you to Barack. Um, you know, this is the classic sort of inside corrupt deal. And if you could imagine the Trumps doing something like that, I mean, everybody, of course, would, would be outraged in Washington. I would be upset and outraged by it as well. But the Trumps haven't done that. The Bidens have. And yet there seems to be zero curiosity and interest by people in Washington, D.C. for this kind of conduct. Uh, because it seems like many of them are involved in in the get rich quick schemes uh, that comes with their uh, their office, including people like Bernie Sanders. We'll continue our conversation here in just a second. The name of the book is Profiles in Corruption uh, by Peter Swizer, and it is not it's uh, it's so well written. He's a good storyteller, but it is not something that is light. The last over a hundred pages are fine print footnotes so you could go look it all up yourself this is not a man's opinion this is a uh, this is a journalistic work and uh, i haven't seen one of those in quite some time peter Swizer, i i uh i would like to uh, sit down with you and develop a series on uh, this book because this is it's remarkable what's going on and nobody is paying attention to it and you have taken all of the front runners of the Democratic Party and shown where they are really corrupt and dirty. Let's go to Bernie Sanders because people think, oh, no, he's for the little people, although he was a little person and now he's worth millions of dollars. How does that happen in Congress as a public servant? But uh, let's let's spend a few minutes on Bernie Sanders. 
Sure. Uh, you know, Bernie Sanders is an interesting case uh, because Bernie Sanders really since the 1970s has railed against uh, millionaires and billionaires in politics. And he used that phrase uh, for about 37 years. Uh, and then he stopped using that phrase. He said he was only concerned about billionaires in politics because he's now become a millionaire. And it's, it's been an interesting uh, path to how he's done it. The first thing that emerges, I mean, the Bernie Sanders chapter in the book is probably 40 pages long, something like that. And, and you know, what you find is from the earliest days when he was mayor of um, Burlington, Vermont, one of the first things he did was put his girlfriend, later wife, Jane, on the payroll. Now, the city council never authorized this. He created a position that was not funded. But Bernie's attitude was, be damned. I want my girlfriend on the payroll. She's on the payroll. And from that point forward, there has been a strategy by him to use his government positions, to use campaign funds, to use other resources to enrich his family. So when he started running for Congress, he discovered this loophole that other people in Washington, D.C. have learned, uh, which involves media buys. So, Glenn, if you were running for senator of Texas and I was the media buyer for your campaign and you spent a million dollars on television ads, I would basically take a 15 percent fee or commission for placing those ads. I would get one hundred and fifty thousand dollars. The challenge is it would not have to be disclosed anywhere. Nobody knows that I got that $150,000 because the only thing that shows up is the large sum of $1 million. Well, Bernie Sanders figured this out, so of course, what did he do? He made his wife his media buyer. Um, and it's hard to know exactly how much money they made, um, but if you follow some of the money in paper trail, it's at least $150,000 while he was in Congress. The big payday on this for someone, we don't know yet, but we have our suspicions, came when Bernie Sanders ran for president of the United States in 2016. Now, he spent $83 million on oh media buys. $83 million. So the commission on that is, what, $12 million, something like that. Who did the media buying for him? Well, we don't really know because that $83 million went through a company called Old Town Media – which is registered to a private residential home on a cul-de-sac in Virginia. Oh, my gosh. Uh, Hang on just a second. There's more, there's more uh, on this and, uh, and other with Bernie Sanders, Elizabeth Warren, all of them uh, with Peter Swizer. We'll go back to Peter next. I wish these people would just be as good at government as they are at scamming. They, right? This would, we'd be, this would be we the would most be, efficient place in the world. If they put their attention on making America profitable and 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 strong imagine what we could get done so peter Schweizer, he is a new york times best-selling author he is a guy who has taken on both the left and the right doing his journalistic uh, job profiles in corruption you're clearly in new york aren't you peter <laughs> how'd you guess <laughs> <laughs> i i know the sound of that city could be 3 a.m or 3 p.m that's what it sounds like you are right yeah uh, okay so um <laughs> Uh, we were talking about Bernie Sanders, and you were starting to tell the story about this eighty or eighty-five million uh, million dollar campaign uh, that was on television and ad buying. The last yeah. campaign, you don't know who was doing the buying for that, but that's fifteen percent of that money went to that person. It used to be his wife. It still could be his wife, I would imagine. 
Well, yes, the the home. So this, of course, went through Old Town Media, which was just uh, set up in a home in suburban Virginia, uh, was linked to uh, two uh, former aides um, that were friends of Jane's that were involved in the media buys before. Now, Jane Sanders was actually asked by a Vermont reporter, a progressive, uh, about this during the 2016 campaign. What did she know about Old Town Media? Was she connected to Old Town Media? Her answer, Glenn, was she hung up the phone. Um, so, you know, we don't know, but what we do know is there's been this pattern with the Sanders family in the past. Um, you know, again, when Bernie Sanders was running for Congress, um, Jane Sanders and her kids actually set up a company uh, called um, a Sanders Media, um, through which they became a contractor for his campaign. Uh, so the pattern certainly uh, uh, fits. Um, and the final piece to this media buying campaign is after that 2016 loss, um, what Bernie did was he set up this 501c4 political action group to sort of carry on the revolution. Um, and when it was announced that, that basically that company, or sorry, that entity, was going to engage in massive media buying, half a dozen of the uh, staffers of that group quit in protest because they said, uh, this is not what we signed up for. We thought this was going to be a grassroots campaign, and all this is going to do is make media buyers wealthy. So this is a huge problem, and because the disclosure laws do not require you to disclose who's actually getting the commissions for the media buys, we just simply don't know, but we have our suspicions. Can you tell the Burlington College story quickly? Or is it- yeah, Burlington College. Um, Jane Sanders uh, is appointed president of the college. Uh, the college board says the reason they picked her essentially was because Bernie was a senator and they thought he could help. Um, she wants to expand the college. They get help from, from, from some very wealthy uh, Vermont uh, families uh, to help that expansion take place. Uh, this is an unknown side of Bernie Sanders. Um, he does not dislike rich people. He only dislikes certain rich people. Mm-hmm. Those that agree with him and support his activities, he's very supportive of. But basically what happens is Burlington College can't make the payments um, uh, to, uh, to pay for this loan that they've taken out to expand. Part of the problem is that Jane Sanders, as president of the college, funnels uh, about half a million dollars of the college's money uh, to her daughter's woodworking uh, school, which is unaccredited. It's unclear whether the college um, uh, committee or leadership even approved that transaction, but the college basically collapsed, and there's been a lot of scandal around it because the claims are that Jane Sanders made a lot of claims about money that was promised to the college to make this happen when uh, investigators, including the FBI, went and met with those individuals. They said, no, I never made that pledge. So there have been allegations that there were fraud uh, on these uh, applications to get the bank loans to begin with. What do you think his supporters do if they would ever, you know, pick up your book and read uh, this? Do you think, I mean, you know, I think these young kids, they believe it. And they believe he's just an old fart that has been saying these things. And he believes it. At least he's honest. And when you look at the corruption, I mean, it's the way the Soviet Union works. I mean, you know, or used to work um, where you, you know, if you're part of the political elite, you get a special lane on the highway. What do you think his his deep supporters would think of what you outline in the book? 
Well, I think uh, they would be shocked if they looked at it. What I would say to them, even if you don't want to buy the book, what I would encourage Bernie Sanders supporters to do is look at his rhetoric uh, where he says he's a socialist, he does not like corporate America, he believes corporations are evil, and then actually look at his investment portfolio. Um, His investment portfolio is in blue-chip Fortune 500 stock. He, by the way, this is very interesting, Glenn. You know, a lot of people know there's this phenomenon of sort of socially responsible investment funds. And Mm -hmm. Bernie doesn't invest in those. Bernie invests in Fortune 500 company stock. When Jane ran Burlington College, they had a small endowment. Uh, They had stock in tobacco companies. They had stock in pharmaceutical companies, chemical companies. There is a yawning gap between how Bernie Sanders thinks we should live our lives and the way that he and his wife actually live their life. Uh, Elizabeth Warren, in your book, Profiles of Corruption, take her on. She's chapter five. Yes. Uh, So Elizabeth Warren, um, it's kind of a a three-layer cake of corruption. It involves her, it involves uh, her daughter, and it involves her son-in-law. Beginning with her very quickly, a lot of people don't realize in the mid-1990s, Elizabeth Warren was hired by Congress and paid by taxpayers to rewrite a portion of corporate bankruptcy law. She did that for three years. What did she do after she rewrote that law? And she says in legal documents she actually wrote the law. She hired herself out to major corporations to help them use the law to their advantage. Oh, my God. I mean, this is, this, is the, this is the consummate insider Washington deal, right? We hear about this all the time. And, in fact, um, and I would agree with her on this, Elizabeth Warren has condemned other people who have done it. She did that very thing. She got uh, huge paydays from companies like Dow Chemical, Armstrong Worldwide, uh, companies that were having problems with, you know, um, uh, litigation involving asbestos and, and breast implants, uh, made millions of dollars uh, doing that. Um, it's a classic self-enrichment scheme. So that's the first thing that I think is troubling. The, the, the chapter on Elizabeth Warren's, you know, probably 40 pages long. There's a lot of material there. I'm just skimming over it. If you go to the second um, a part in that, that would be looking at her daughter, Amelia Tiagi. Uh, They're very, very close. Uh, uh, and Amelia um, had helped start a company called BTG um, in 2007. Um, and uh, BTG was looking for capital and was looking for advisors uh, to help this business really go. Well, Elizabeth Warren, if you remember in 2008, is selected by Congress by Harry Reid to be the chairman of the Oversight Committee for TARP. Mm-hmm. TARP was the committee that was sending out huge sums of money bailing out Wall Street firms. Mm-hmm. And Elizabeth Warren becomes the chairman of that oversight committee. When she meets with Harry Reid, her daughter Amelia actually comes with her to the meeting. Well, here's what's interesting. What happens over the wait, next Wait, wait, wait. Yeah. Was it bring your daughter to work day? <laughs> I'll have to check that. Okay, because that could explain all of this. All right, go ahead. Um, here's what's interesting. In the six to eight months following Elizabeth Warren's appointment to the TARP Oversight Committee, two things happen. TARP bails out major Wall Street investment firms. During the same period, uh, her daughter's new company gets new investors and new advisors from the same firms that are being bailed out by TARP. Um, What you you find is that when Elizabeth Warren joins the United States Senate, uh, this company, uh, BTG, uh, actually starts taking on government clients. Um, entities like the Corporation for Public Broadcasting that Elizabeth Warren is pushing legislation for, uh, for greater government funding. So that's the, the second layer of the cake. The final one, which I think is probably the most troubling, 
involves her son-in-law, Sushil Tiagi, a very, very bright guy, uh, came over from India, met uh, Elizabeth Warren's daughter at Wharton Business School at the University of Pennsylvania. Uh, he has a lot of business activities. He's very entrepreneurial. But he has one entity called Tricolor uh, Films that he started. Uh, he's taken down the website, but on the website, which we were able to recover, it talks about their business model is making films that are funded and in partnership with foreign governments, which is certainly a unique business model. Well, here's, here's, the, here's the stunning part. Uh, he does one film that is financed by the Iranian government. Um, and that's not speculation. That is not. We actually have the film credits. We actually have the documents. The son-in-law is the only, the sole producer on this film. Uh, and the financiers are these Iranian government agencies. These Iranian government agencies, by the way, uh, also uh, fund and participate in things like Al Quds Day, which is a, a very anti-Semitic uh, celebration yeah, in it's Iran. A more, it's the morning of the loss of Jerusalem. And yes. the vow to get it back by blood. Exactly. That's exactly right. Well, the, the same government entities that financed his film uh, also are very active in Al Quds Day. Oh. And in the in the film credits, in the film credits, one of the entities that they give credit and thanks to is the um, uh, Iranian Revolutionary Guard Air Force. I don't know what their participation was in the film, but this to me speaks of a of a uh, willingness. Uh, to work with some really, really, really nasty people around the world. And that, that's something that I think, again, we need to have more information on. Are there other governments? You know, he talks about working with foreign governments. Did he work with other governments on films? That's, I think, a legitimate question that people should ask. You know, when I was looking into Ukraine, I see that a lot of people are doing what the, uh, you know, Bidens were doing over in Ukraine to one degree or another. Nothing yeah. like the yeah. Bidens. But it is, it's rampant. Uh, uh, do you ever see anybody ever trying to clean this up? Are there, are there people that are, that are decent enough in Congress and in the administration or in the Senate that will actually take this on? Uh, I, I think there are some that want to. I think the problem is right now, as you correctly point out, is this is a bipartisan problem. Um, and whenever there's an opportunity for both political sides, for people to make money, um, you're going to have a hard time getting a consensus because you have very good people that are, that are honest and want to have this go away, and they, they are actually in both political parties. But you also have more powerful people generally in both political parties that either – wink and nod or actually participate in this kind of corruption. The only thing that they understand, Glenn, is exposure and uh, embarrassment um, and shame. There is um, that's the that, only though. thing that leads them. You know, we, uh, uh, I wrote a book back in 2011 on insider trading by members of Congress on the stock market. Mm -hmm. I came on your show. We talked about it. Uh, it was on 60 Minutes. Um, Congress did not want to deal with it. They were basically forced to, three months later, pass a bill, which they've now kind of gutted. But they were forced to at least pass a bill making it illegal for members of Congress to engage in insider trading. So but, they will act. But those are, those are different days. I mean, look at what's happening with this impeachment. There's no yeah. amount of shame. There's no, there's no one holding anyone accountable anymore. Right. 
I, I agree with you completely, and it's it's a very sad day. We we have a binary situation, and people do not want to call out somebody on their own side uh, because they think somehow it's it's going to lead to the compl- the collapse of their side. And what I just tell people is. Nobody is irreplaceable. If if you are a a, a you know Democrat um, and you hate Donald Trump, uh, Joe Biden is not your savior. There are other people that can that can perform that duty. I would say the same thing to Republicans. Republicans that are you know officials that are corrupt. There are other people, good people that can take their place. So I just urge everybody never fall into the trap of saying I'm going to accept whatever anything that this individual does uh, because we're afraid of losing them because there are other people that can step up and take those. Peter Schweitzer, he is the author of the book uh, Profiles in Corruption. I literally have 30 seconds. Any chance do you believe that Hunter Biden will have to be will have to testify? I think there's a pretty small chance. I think he should. But I just think that they're going to make a pact and it's not going to happen. Yeah. Peter Schweitzer, thank you so much. We'll talk to you again. Profiles in Corruption. It is really well worth any price that you're paying for it what is it 20 25 bucks in hardcover 29 bucks in hardcover a hundred pages of footnotes and it is it's jaw-dropping jaw-dropping profiles in corruption this is the best of the glenn beck program Hey, it's Glenn, and if you like what you hear on the program, you should check out Pat Gray Unleashed. His podcast is available wherever you download your favorite podcast. Hi, it's Glenn. If you're a subscriber to the podcast, can you do us a favor and rate us on iTunes? If you're not a subscriber, become one today and listen on your own time. You can subscribe on iTunes. Thanks. Ilan Omar. Ilan Omar. Ilan Omar. All right. With our Alanomar update is uh, David Steinberg. How, how are you doing, David? I was doing better. <laughs> that. Yeah, you think uh, that no, you think that cheapens this segment a little bit? Or no, no, that, no. that was wonderful. Okay, I I've never heard it before. I'm, oh, I'm glad I uh, right. finally got a chance. To. Well, there you uh, go. Thanks for inviting me. Sure. And uh, thank you also for running my uh, my update last week. Absolutely. I know. I know everybody's uh, been waiting. Well, everyone who's been following this story has sure. been waiting a while to hear this news. Yes, and uh, it was it was uh, satisfying to finally publish that headline. Okay, so tell me the story. <clears throat> well, last year in uh, in mid October, uh, it, it actually uh, by coincidence it was the same day that Donald Trump was in Minnesota giving a stump speech. Uh, Steve Draskowski, who is the uh, the state rep in Minnesota, who who has been the only person over there trying to get some accountability, mm-hmm. he had made a complaint to the Minnesota, the Minnesota branch of the Department of Justice, the, the U.S. attorney, saying, for goodness sake, somebody has to look into her past. There's just an overwhelming amount of evidence here. And surprisingly, he got a response. <laughs> The deal, the deal. How, how, how sad is that, that you have to say? And surprisingly, they responded yeah. to this. Well, it was, it, was, it was rather shocking. Not only did he get a response, it, it wasn't a polite dismissal. The, the current U.S. attorney of Minnesota, uh, Erica McDonald, she is a Trump appointee, by the way. Mm-hmm. 
2018 Trump appointee. She she directed the FBI to review Steve's complaints. And then the FBI, uh, the special agent in charge at the FBI, who she had assigned, did meet with Draskowski. It was that same day Trump was in town and a few others. And he handed over a file of prepared evidence that they had uh, put together, some other information that um, uh, it, it related to the, her finance charges that Steve was also involved with exposing earlier in the year, and some other evidence. And uh, the FBI, during the meeting, said, essentially, I'm paraphrasing, but wow, uh, <laughs> they, 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 they took it seriously. Yeah. And and said, you know, we have such a wide range of criminal activity here suggested by this evidence. In these kind of cases, the FBI turns into a hub and coordinates sharing evidence among several interested departments. I want to I want to give the exact quote from your article uh, following answers to those questions about uh, Representative Omar's 2009 marriage appear to give probable, probable cause to investigate Omar for eight instances of perjury, immigration fraud, marriage fraud, up to eight years of state and federal tax fraud, two years of federal student loan fraud, and even bigamy. To be clear, the facts described perhaps the most extensive spree of illegal misconduct con- committed by a House member in all of American history. Wow. Yeah, I, I uh, you know, I've, that passage, I've run themes on that for a couple of years now. And uh, as you know, this has been covered solely by outlets like The Blaze, NPJ Media, mm-hmm. and Powerline. Yep. And not I think only really ignored, that's are the three. <laughs> yeah, pretty yeah. much. Uh, other people have followed up on it, uh, but it, it has been... Um, and, and Alpha News Minnesota, a small local outlet, got the ball rolling on this back in 2016. Now, uh, so this information—it's it, been a long wait because there was a much there was enough information to open an investigation back before she was even elected in 2016 to her to her state seat. Now, uh, what I like to do is compare what was all, what was going on with the FBI at the time the evidence they used to open this investigation against Trump, uh, compare that evidence, which was George Papadopoulos in a bar yeah. uh, speaking to a foreign, uh, a foreign diplomat. Right. Uh, compare that to these dozens and dozens of verifiable uh, social media posts. We have documents, uh, legal documents from two different countries that can be verified. We have address records. We have uh, Ilhan's own comments to uh, an interviewer back in 2014. We have her husband's comments uh, that also corroborate all of this. This is just such a huge packet of evidence. And with what else is going on in the world today, look at what Adam Schiff's trying to uh, yeah. trying to trying to use as as grounds for impeaching the president. Meanwhile, take a look. All you need to know about the hypocrisy of what's going on today uh, in the Senate is to take a look at how Adam Schiff has treated the evidence against his colleague. Okay, so you have the FBI playing as a a quarterback, if you will. They they gave part of this case to the Department of Education Inspector General for 
uh, her her fraud on marriage and uh, how she was working the educational system. And then they also went to ICE and they are saying that that, you know, she broke all kinds of uh, immigration uh, rules. Do you yes, th- well, go ahead? A lot of people who who have been uh, who haven't quite been following it uh, are, are discussing Ilhan being deported. Uh, that's not uh, the issue at case. The she came to this country at age 12, mm-hmm. whether or not that was legal. And obviously, I've printed before that I think it was entirely fraudulent. That's not what we're looking at here. We're, we're ICE would be involved with her having a fraudulent marriage right. to a UK citizen. She was 26 years old. Uh, she had been a U.S. citizen at right. that point for seven or eight years. We're not talking about when she was 12. We're not talking about her getting deported. I want to be clear about that. Yeah. ICE would be talking about a fraudulent marriage. You wouldn't be uh, talking about deportation. You'd be talking about possible jail time because of fraud. Correct. Absolutely. Um, And do do you see a world in which this stuff is actually handed down on a member of Congress? Uh, it, you know, this is I've talked about her as, as sort of the perfect test that came along both for the Democrat Party, for the media and for law enforcement. Uh, if they don't take action on this case, yeah, what, what then, the, uh, yes, what, what will they take action on? This is something that uh, seems seems like, you know, if they do open an investigation, uh, in the morning, they they, they could uh, hand out indictments by lunchtime. Yeah, there's really not a lot of work left to do. It, the only work left to do is to subpoena these documents that I can't get access to, such as the the school records of uh, of her husband uh, Ahmed Elmi. Uh, he came over to this country in uh, when he was a teenager and went to high school for a year. And from all I know, he lived in he lived with his father, Ilhan's father, for that year. And so the history goes way back. And I, I believe on their school registration forms, it'll mm-hmm. say father, Nurse Ayed Elmi, right. who was Ilhan's father. Right. I can't get my hands on those documents because he was a minor, of course. So just those those sorts of things that I can't legally acquire. That's all that's left to do. And those certainly won't take a lot of times to get their hands on because that's stuff that's uh, yeah. I, I, a simple. Yes, I, I think you said it best that you could mm-hmm. start it in the morning and by lunchtime you could hand out the indictments. I mean, it is it, there's that yeah. th- that little of work to be done. All they have to do is make a phone call. You're and you're at a block. Right? You're at a block. Correct. Um, well, there, there's certainly more I can find to to completely uh there's more i haven't published yet i'll I'll put it that way but however also at a state level i i pointed out that it doesn't matter who this person was she perjured herself eight times while divorcing him and that would be a state matter so we, we have federal agencies looking at this right now hopefully there will be some movement at the state level as well any idea in timing and Timing, I don't know. Uh, obviously, when you see law enforcement doing something, uh, when you see they're doing the job as expected, you, I don't want to antagonize them. Yeah. So obviously this news, I, I published the news of the meeting last year 
Uh, I waited three weeks after the meeting happened before I ran it. Uh, this news about the FBI being contacted, uh, I'm sorry, this news about uh, ICE being contacted and the Department of Education being contacted, this didn't happen last week. This happened last year in November. Hmm. So I have been, uh, the last thing I want to do is be accused of stovepiping, essentially, handing information over to these agencies, calling the media and saying, hey, look, there's an investigation. Right. Which is, uh, ironically, that's what James Comey did, uh, you know, when they briefed the president <laughs> and, then, and then leaked it to the media that uh, there was something going on. David, I like, so, the, I like the way you work and I like the way you think and your work ethic uh, to prove it is, is uh, very rare in today's world. Um, we're talking to David uh, Steinberg. He is, was the New York City editor at PJ Media. Um, and if you ask Dave Bratt, it was his investigation of Eric Cantor in 2014 in the primary campaign that uh, uh, tipped that uh, that district into uh, a historic loss. And and some say it was the beginning of the Trump era and all because of of you, David Steinberg. Talk to you again. Thank you very much. Let us know when you have an update. Will do. Thanks, Glenn. God bless. David uh, Steinberg, you can follow him at Real. Uh, dsteinberg.com The Blaze Radio Network On Demand